the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. In the Bible, we read the story of many representatives of God, many preachers of God's truth, and we read accounts of God at work. And the book of Jonah is an unusual one. We've been studying all last week. Uh, Jonah got what he preached for. The people turned and they repented. And yet when they did, he wasn't really happy about it. And in Jonah 4, verse 4, God says, Is it right for you to be angry? Well, we're going to unpack that and more on today's edition of Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland here with Bert Harper. It's a brand new week, and it's a very special week. We'll talk about that in a moment. But my dear brother Bert, it's good to be with you. Did you preach yesterday? I did. We had a great time down in Smithville, Mississippi, Smithville Baptist Church, and there were several people there that were able that I was preached there two weeks, uh, two Sundays in a row, and they were talking about exploring the Word and Alex, again, we've got people there that pray for us and say they enjoy it. And as I was saying earlier, there was someone who said, man, we enjoy listening to you. And I said, well, I'm telling you, you couldn't enjoy listening more than Alex and I enjoy doing the program. And uh, so we are glad. And yes, how about you? Do you preach anywhere Sunday? Well, I had the privilege of being at a church, a 150-year-old church, First Baptist Church of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, down on the coast, and uh, we uh, have a kind of a long friendship with that church, and I've attended there many times, preached there many times, and so uh, we very well may be doing one of our Truth for New Generation conferences there this fall, and as those details solidify, I'll give you a a little bit of heads up on that, everybody. We've got, if it all comes together, we've got some really exciting news about a TNG conference there. But I was there yesterday, and it was a a great a great crowd and just very supportive and exploring the word. Listeners, they come up and they they express how much they love American Family Radio, and I just want to say that. For this show, we give God the glory, the ability to articulate the Word of God, and we read Scripture, and we talk about the meaning and the application, because, you know, Bert, one of the beautiful things about the Bible, in every generation, for every life, there is application. In other words, we integrate the Word of God into our life, and uh, I've been reading uh, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer, and Tozer said something really interesting He was a great Christian leader of the 20th century, but Tozer said the Christian life is that we know God, but also that we pursue God. And coming to know Christ is an event that you could experience today. You could call on Jesus Christ right now today, and you can be saved. But then, Bert, isn't it a blessing that for the rest of our life we can pursue God? Amen. It's because he first pursued us. He, yeah. we can love him because he first loved us. Translate that word pursuit and you find it true. And if you're listening today and you think no one loves, no one cares, I just want to tell you, God does. And he loves you and he loved you enough that he would send his son and his son loved you enough that he would obey the father even to the cross and so you are loved today, and I pray you would pursue that love because he is pursuing you. 
So Alex, what what a great man A.W. Tozier was. So many great people. You know, when we come to this program and we quote different people, I'm reminded that we are standing on the shoulders of giants, Amen. men and women who have gone before us sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. Can you imagine if it had only stayed in Jerusalem? Aren't you glad they... <laughs> They left, mm-hmm. the early Christians left Jerusalem and went throughout the world that, that Paul and Barnabas and then Silas would make their way over into Europe and they would share that Thomas would go all the way to India. What, what a story. There's a story worth telling and they told it. And guess what? It's still worth telling and sharing today, isn't it? Well, it really is, and, and our world needs it. Our, our world needs the gospel. And, you know, I'll say this as we transition into the book of Jonah. Uh, human nature doesn't change. I mean, now technology, we we invent a few things along the way, but humans are still the same by nature that they've always been throughout all of history. And we are made to know God. That's why people are so restless and they they pursue all sorts of things of this world. See, you're never going to be fulfilled until you've got Christ in your life. Uh, Different ones have said it different ways. Some have said it very poetically. But uh, C.S. Lewis said that the soul is, you know, this infinite space that cannot be satisfied by finite things. Only an infinite God could fill the human heart. And so uh, there's a God-sized hole in every heart, and it's only God that's going to fulfill you. Well, do you know what? I will say this, Bert, to be born again to know the Lord, that is the meaning of life, and then to grow in the Lord and to to fulfill your purpose. Jonah had a purpose. He was sent to preach to those Ninevites, that great city. We've talked about that. And uh, Jonah didn't have a lot of compassion on those Assyrians, did he? Even after they turned and repented, he wasn't all that thrilled about that, was he? He was not, and you've already read that verse. It says, and the Lord is the one that said this, is it right for you to be angry? Now, uh, you know, this is like a rhetorical question in a way because you remember the father would ask Adam, where are you? Where are you? And he knew where he was. And uh, this is, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he, <laughs> that he might see what would become of the city. Uh he, I'm going to sit and watch it. You know, Alex, here's, he's willing to watch it be destroyed. I mean, yeah. you know, he, he, I mean, I understand the reluctance on anyone. I, you know, when someone was killed by lethal injection these days, or used to be another way that they invite some of the uh, family of the person who, who died to come and witness that. And many times I've heard of them and heard a few say, I'm not going to go watch. That is something I don't want to do. But yeah, it sounds he like he was sitting down ready to enjoy this destruction, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I know. I want to I want to read this. Uh, it seemed very wrong that they repented. He became angry. And uh, so Jonah had gone out, verse 5, sat down on a place east of the city. So he gets under the shade of this tree to watch. I guess he wants to watch the fire fall, if if indeed fire from heaven is going to fall. Do you remember when Jesus is on the cross and it says that, that people sat down and watched? Maybe they were going to see if God from heaven would 
somehow swoop down and, and take Jesus down from the cross. The idea of people wanting a religious spectacle, whether it be the judgment of God on Nineveh or whether it be the miraculous deliverance of Jesus from the cross by angels, they were looking like Jonah for maybe a religious spectacle. But, Bert, I know you probably heard the story of Spurgeon, who was so famous, and P.T. Barnum offered him large money to come to America on a speaking tour, and P.T. Barnum said, you know, hey, come over here, you let me handle the arrangements, I'll make us both rich. And uh, Spurgeon wrote back, you know, quoting Peter, thy money perish with thee, because what the world doesn't need is a religious spectacle or just a show. What the world needs is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the new birth, it's called. Maybe somebody listening right now needs that, and you've, you've been religious, you've been quote-unquote spiritual. Listen, what you need, not only for heaven in eternity, but for life right now, you need a relationship with the Lord who loves you, the new birth, and you can have that today. But Jonah, uh, I've, I've always thought that in Jonah 4, there was some of the most profound teaching in that little the second half of that fourth chapter. So uh, I, wa- I want to point out the importance of knowing Jesus. But here's the thing. This leafy plant grows up above Jonah's head and gives gives him shade. Here, here's a still reluctant prophet, a disobedient, selectively obedient, sometimes disobedient preacher. And God, God sends some grace and gives him some shade on a hot sunny day to drive home a point, doesn't he, Bert? He does, and watch the word prepared. We're looking at a plant. We're looking at a worm. We're looking at a wind. We're looking at these things. This is God teaching his prophet, his child. What is it in response to? This is all in response to verse 4. Is it right for you to be angry? God is taking this horrible attitude that his child has and is trying to give, and you can write on it, an attitude adjustment, you know? And a lot of times we need that attitude adjustment, and, and this is one of them that does it. So we prepared that plant uh, to cover Jonah. He had already made a shelter, made it for a shade, and God added to his comfort. Now, I found that interesting. He was already getting comfortable, and add, God added to it by bringing the plant. Really, it wasn't to make him more comfortable in order to relax, but making him more comfortable that when the comfort was gone, it would get his attention, you know? Well said. And God does that in our lives. Sometimes he gives us some things, and he blesses us. Yes, it's just straight out. But many times he is teaching us to trust him, teaching us some things about his character. And, And it says that it might be a shade for his head to deliver him from his misery, so Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Now, you got to contrast this, Alex. Yeah. I'm going to, I want L- this. Let me comfort you while you sit there and stew. <laughs> yeah. In other words, he's going to sit there and watch a city burn and the people in it. And he's grateful for a plant that makes his his domain a lot easier. Uh, <laughs> Jonah, he is, he is something else at this point in time. He doesn't like the reaction that God's given He's angry, and uh, he thinks his anger is going to change God's mind, I think, Alex. 
Well, I know, and really we see the compassion of God so much, but it says um, the next day God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And we've talked about this many times, a boar worm that gets down in the stalk and uh, chews it so it, it dies. And by the way, Jonah's fidelity to God was about as fair weather as that plant. Here's a plant that for 24 hours is there, but in the sun and due to that worm, it wilts. Doesn't sometimes our obedience and our commitment to the Lord fade away as quickly as the first problem that comes along? It is. You know, as long as it's comfortable, Lord, I'm going to serve you. As long as I don't have to pay a severe price, I'm, I'm behind you all the way. And so here it is. He's getting Jonah to the point where he can uh, really, uh, I, hopefully, we, we don't see, I'm just foreshadow ahead, uh, it doesn't show anything about Jonah changing. Uh, yeah. now I hope he did, but the Ninevites changed. Someone asked, how long was it before they went away? I, I, I thought I remembered 50, but it was two times 50. It was closer to 100 than, yes. than 50 years that I someone called in and asked that, and I my mind wasn't working right, but is it about 100 years that this message that Jonah delivered to the Ninevites lasted? And we're talking about an evil, evil, evil oh, yeah. people. We're not talking about some people just got some naughtiness in them. We're talking about evil, Alex. Well, Paul said, you know, heaven forbid that after having preached, I myself would be a castaway. Isn't it sad? The one person not really changed by this great move of God was the preacher, Jonah. Now, we'll talk more about that when Exploring the Word comes back after this brief break. Don't go away. More with Jonah on Exploring the Word. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Robert Bianchi, CEO of the Defense Commissary Agency. He oversees the operations of an agency with 15,000 employees and an operating budget of $7 billion. Psalm 7872 reminds us of the example that a good leader needs to set. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Robert Bianchi as he leads the Defense Commissary Agency. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. There's a plan for your family, but probably not the one you had in mind when you got married or started having children. Dr. Tony Evans explains as we spend two minutes with Tony. As I went and studied in seminary and learned more of the theology of family, I was able to connect the importance of family to its theological roots beyond the nuclear structure itself. Even when God created Adam and Eve and told them to be fruitful and multiply, he told them to fill the earth. There was this dominant uh, perspective that dominated the, um, the environment of Scripture. I began to discover that the purpose for family is not the purpose for which most people have family. Most people have family for their own personal fulfillment and happiness. But I discovered that that is supposed to be a byproduct of family, a result of family, but not fundamentally the purpose for family that the job of family 
is to fill the earth for the purposes of expanding the kingdom of God in history. So the reason why there's such an attack on the family is not social or psychological, it's spiritual, to disrupt the expansion of God's kingdom in history. And if more people, more husbands and wives and parents and children saw that the breakdown of the family is tied to the disruption of God's kingdom and not just my own personal fulfillment, perhaps they would look at family a lot deeper and much more serious. Learn more about how men are designed and destined to fit into that heavenly expansion plan. Request a copy of Dr. Evans' best-selling book, Kingdom Man, for yourself, your brother, uncle, husband, father, teenage son, or your church study group. Visit us at TonyEvans.org and click on the link that says Making Kingdom Men. That's TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time as we spend two minutes with Tony. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. Psalm 41. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Welcome back to Exploring the Word, and we're in the book of Jonah, finishing it up, and then the next three days is going to be a great time around AFR. It's called share uh, We have three days in the spring, three days in the fall, and this is the spring edition, and it's your opportunity to share in the ministry, a partner with us, and we're looking forward to that, and we hope that God's laid it on your heart, prepared it in your heart to be a uh, share with us the and so that we can stay on there and share the good news. We're looking forward to that the next three days. But we're going to finish up the book of Jonah. And then on the 19th, we're going to stay in the book uh, that follows Jonah, for, not, in, not in order here in the Bible, but concerning Nineveh. And it's Nahum or Nahum, different ways of saying that prophet's name. But we're looking forward to that. But Alex... I just wrote this down going out of the break. God prepared a plant to make Jonah comfortable, and he prepared a worm and a wind to make him uncomfortable. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So God is preparing all this, and it's still to get to the point, and I, I'm doing this ahead, but I think it sets it up better. Verse 4, the Lord says, is it right for you to be angry? Verse 9, listen to what he says. Is it right for you to be angry? about the plant. Now, he was angry about a plant dying, and he was angry about at least 120,000 plus not dying, you know? Mm, Um, That's a great contrast. It is a contrast, and we say, man, what a man Jonah is. Well, sometimes I think we need to look and see what we get excited about and what we get angry about as well, don't you? Yeah, you know... um, Unusual words just really catch my attention sometimes, don't they, you? Uh, and the word there, worm, in Jonah 4, 7, that God prepared a worm. 
which chewed the plant so that it withered. Now, let me just deviate for just a minute. We've talked about this, a very kind of famous sermon illustration about the tolea, and the word there is T-O-L-E-A, the scarlet worm, and in the ancient world they would make dye, this indelible ink out of these, these worms, and, you know, very famously, of course, Psalm 22, 6, Psalm 22, very messianic prophecy, which Jesus quotes Psalm 22 from the cross. But there's that verse, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men. Again, there's that worm, that, that word, tolia, the scarlet worm. Of course, in Mark 9, 44 through 48, talking about people that are lost and they're in hell and their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. So, Bert, let, let's try to tie this in, because, all right, in the case of Jonah, there's the shade plant, uh, which is a blessing on a windy day. By the way, it talks about a scorching east wind in verse 8, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head. If any of you have been in uh, uh, California, the, they call it the Santa Ana Winds, that can make your face just red from the hot sun and the wind blowing on you with little grains of sand in it. So the shady plant was a blessing, right? But along comes something that's a stumbling block, the worm that really takes your eyes off of the blessing of this world, and you've got to face the bright light of the sun. Okay, let me just, and I don't mean to stretch here, but... Psalm 22, Jesus on the cross, the worm. At the very least, just like there was a worm that took away Jonah's shade tree, this plant, look, there is Jesus. And you might for just a moment be happy in this world. Oh, boy, I've, I've got everything I want, and life couldn't be any better. But then you come to the realization that this world is not all there is. And there, there's a worm that gets in your mind, and you've got to understand that this world is not what it's all about. And in fact, if you love the blessings and you don't know the blesser, uh, that's a bad place to be in, isn't it? And so, Bert, I don't want to try to push this analogy too far, but I want to say this. Um, there is something that this world can never give you, and that's eternal life. And there are blessings in this life that are happy for a moment, but the meaning of life is to know the one who gave his life for you. So at the very least from Jonah 4, we've got to take away the the reality that um, the blessings of this world are not forever. They're temporal, and only what lasts eternally is Christ, his kingdom, and our relationship with him. And it is, and it is only through Christ, and it damaged the plant that it withered, and you appreciate that knowing that that worm did its work. Now, you know, God had it prepared for that. The difficult things that comes into our life, hopefully it will help us turn to him. And it happened when the sun arose, and it talks about that east wind you were talking about. God prepared it at that time. The sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. I mean, it it, it was fast, and uh, then he wished death for himself. There's the second time. You remember hmm. that in verse 3? It is better for me to die than to live. And here he is. I mean, this is close to depression. He's in depression over God blessing his sermon. 
that he preached and a whole city turned toward God and it makes him want to die. And then God said to Jonah again, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Is he comparing that, Alex? Is that what he's doing? He said, here you are, Jonah. You're, you're angry about these people that I didn't destroy, and now you're angry about this plant that I did destroy. Jonah, yeah. look at yourself. Do you hear? Yeah. Do you hear your thinking, your emotions? What kind of priorities? Yeah, and it's amazing. Verse four: The Lord said, "Is it right for you to be angry?" Then in verse nine, God says, "Is it right for you to be angry about the plant?" And Jonah says, "It is." <laughs> now, few things are as pathetic as a Christian who's being carnal, and they're trying to justify and legitimize their sinful attitude and sinful actions. He said, "It is." And believe it or not, and Bert, I know we, our time is limited, but I want to comment on what Jonah says in Jonah 4.9. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Bert, have you ever counseled anybody, and life is hard, and they, they just say, you know, I wish I'd never been born, yeah. or I, I'd, I'd just as soon roll over and die. Have you ever been counseling anybody that's just despairing of their very own life oh, several times alex and it is it is people that that they don't see in, they've lost hope uh, a yeah. lot of times now sometimes notice his is uh, based upon anger anger yes will drive you to depression i let me this is not a psychological show i'm not trying to do that but this is a show that div, that shows you that anger must be dealt with Okay. Yeah. If you yeah. let anger go, that what happens? Depression happens. You know. And so, what do you want to do with anger? The Bible says, "Be angry and sin not." Now, how do you do it? You deal with it. If it's misplaced anger, you confess it and take it back. If it's anger that you have towards someone that's legitimate, you do and you go into the area of forgiveness, Alex. But anger, yes. unrelented is dangerous. It's not just bad and evil. It's dangerous, brother. Well, it really is. And I mean, few things are as destructive as anger. And and let me just digress on this point for a moment. Um, I've been in the ministry a long time. And as you know, Bert, and, and I know you have the similar experience, you deal with hundreds of people. And one of the most toxic things is is anger. And you could sooner get an alcoholic to admit that they're abusing liquor sooner than you could get an angry person to admit that they've got anger issues. And somehow or another, people that uh, are controlled by anger, they legitimize it by, well, this circumstance or that person. And so, you know, angry, they, they might admit that anger is wrong, but they somehow tell themselves that they are legitimate in being angry. Let me say this. Um, when you've got a sin that the Holy Spirit convicts you of, be quick to acknowledge it and be equally quick to turn from it. You read Galatians 5, and you know we are commanded to bear the fruits of the Spirit. Among those are, are patience, gentleness, and joy. Now, anger a toxic, destructive force. Enough said about that. Let's go back to Jonah and this terrible statement, I'm so angry I wish I were dead. Bert, uh, in philosophy, 
uh, philosophers talk about attributes or characteristics. And, you know, people, maybe somebody's got wisdom or maybe somebody's got strength or maybe somebody's got wealth or influence. But philosophers generally say the greatest attribute uh, is existence. Because, I mean, you could talk about a hypothetical person, rich, famous, powerful, virtuous, handsome, whatever. But if, if they don't exist, it's just a figment of their imagination. And so one of the most precious uh, valuable attributes is this thing called to exi- existence, all right? Here's my point. If you ever get so angry and you just think, oh, I wish I'd never been born. You know, I wish I was dead. God, I'd rather you've not created me. Don't ever think that way. I know life is hard. I know sometimes things are very, very tough, and that shows all the more how much we need Jesus. But Bert, um, I'm going to say this, and you correct me if I'm wrong here. To to fault God for having created you, and to say, God, I wish you had never even made me, that's demonic. Because life is a gift. Oh my goodness, life is a gift. I know we all, we all some days get almost to our breaking point, but never get so down that you... Uh, curse God for even making you. Because I know it's hard, and we have to find our way back to Jesus, and we have to, with His help, make it through life. But to have been created is such a gift. It is. Life is a gift, Bert. You know, you and I both love Jimmy Stewart, and it's a wonderful life. And in that program, he said it'd been better off than for everybody to have be off than if he had never been born. Similar mm-hmm. situation, and you, if those of you that don't know the story, we don't recommend a lot of movies, but we can re- recommend It's a Wonderful Life and say there's something to that, you know, a life well lived. If God's giving you existence, God wants to add to that existence and give you life. Matter of fact, an abundant life. Your existence comes from God. He created you, but your full life, the full life, eternal life comes from God as well through Jesus Christ. Creation and follow-up, redemption. It is a neat process. Creation, redemption. And that's what God does, and that's what he wants to do in our lives. Well, Alex, Mm. verse 10, But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and also much livestock. And there's a lot we can say about this. There's two books that end in a question, and this is one mm-hmm. of them. And if I remember right, I think it's Nahum, who, which we're going to study next. Yeah, it is. Nahum ends with a question. Only two books in the Bible that end with questions. And so here, but the Lord said, that is the contrast. Here is what uh, uh, Jonah is saying. But the Lord said, you have had pity on a plant which you did not labor and made it grow. And should I not have pity on Nineveh? Alex, again, the contrast is there so much. And he is trying to get Jonah to the point to see what's in his heart that he needs to get right. 
I believe we got people listening today that has anger and bitterness, judgment in their heart, their uh, self-pity in their heart too for themselves rather than pity for others. And and God is asking questions. God is preparing things. God asked the right questions. He made the right statements, and he prepared the right circumstances so Mm -hmm. that Jonah could make the turn and turn to right rather than stay where he is. I think God's doing that in our lives as well, brother. Amen. Amen. That You know, that Jonah 4.10 is so incredible. Um, I'm sorry, Jonah 4.11, where he says, you know, Jonah, have compassion. Shouldn't I have pity on these people? They don't know their right hand from their left. And, and that's like when Jesus looked on the multitudes and had compassion, for they were like a sheep without a shepherd. Now, Psalm 145, verse 8, says the Lord is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you, but I give you the peace that passes all understanding. Let not your heart be troubled, do not be afraid. See, God is compassionate, and he gives the peace, the love, the restoration that can't be found anywhere else but only through Christ. In fact, he so loved you. Yes, God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you, Romans 5, 8. He tangibly demonstrated his love. But, Bert, when I read that Jonah 4, 11, where God says, he's really asking a question, shouldn't I have compassion on this great multitude in this city because they don't even know right from left? Bert, people today don't know if they're a male or a female. Mm. People don't know what marriage and family is. People don't know right from wrong. I would say, and friend, that's why we would beg of you to pray for a moral and spiritual Holy Ghost awakening because people today, just as they were at Nineveh, they're lost and they need God. Hey, we're going to take your questions. That number, 888-589-8840. So they asked me to enter my email address, and the next thing I know, I start getting emails from companies I never even knew existed. What's up with that? Here at the American Family Association, you have our word that we won't give away, sell, or lease your email address to any other organization or company. We're thankful when you take the time to subscribe to AFA Action Alerts, One Million Moms, Engage Magazine, or any of our other online newsletters. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr, president of the American Pastors Network, a growing national network of pastors committed to the authority of Scripture and preaching the whole counsel of God. We believe biblical obedience is the foundation for revival and impacting our culture for Christ is our duty. For too long, the pulpits of America have been silent on the important issues such as marriage and family and assault on our liberty. Join us in the battle for truth on Stand in the Gap weekend, Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. on American Family Radio, and visit us at AmericanPastorsNetwork.org. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, Romans 12.2. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Paul's epistle to the Romans was written to believers. This verse highlights the fact that it's possible for Christians to be conformed to the world's ways. The word conform there means to be squeezed into the mold of another. Rather than being squeezed into the world's mold, the Lord requires us to be transformed by having our minds renewed by God's word. 
everything about us must be held up to the light of Scripture. And wherever there's any discrepancy, we must be transformed. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. Luke 2, verse 51 says this about the boy Jesus, And he went down with his parents to Nazareth and was submissive to them. In 1982, a lanky shortstop stepped onto the field for the Baltimore Orioles. He didn't get much attention that day, but 2,632 consecutive games later, he was known as baseball's Iron Man. Cal Ripken may not have been the greatest shortstop in baseball. He didn't reach his full potential with his great talent, but by his faithfulness. Reaching your greatest potential doesn't come through talent or wealth. You reach your potential when you live with Iron Man faithfulness to God. When you simply depend on His strength as you obey, you'll become all that God wants you to be. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. If you got pain, he's a pain God told Jonah that plant grew up overnight and died overnight, just like the things of this world do, so temporary. But his compassion and our relationship with the Lord, well, that's forever. Hey, it's Exploring the Word. We're going to open up the phones. The number, toll-free number, is 888-589-8840. We would love to have your call if you've got a Bible question. Call in. Hey, maybe if you're a first-time caller, don't be shy. Let us hear from you. 888-589-8840 on the AFR Network. And let's pick up the phone. What do you say, Bert? Let's do that, and let's go to Kansas and talk to J.C. Welcome, brother. Hi. Uh, well, sister, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Okay. Go ahead, um, J.C. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's necessarily a question, uh, more or less just um, kind of like, what a like a pick your brain for like what was laid on my heart during your discussion about Jonah and Jesus asking him the question on, is it okay to be angry? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And it just kind of reminds me of like different, you know, verses in the Bible, like um, how, like in the book of Ephesians, it talks about don't get so angry that you sin and don't go to bed angry and let the devil have a chance. Like, um, I don't think it's necessarily a sin to be angry or that Jonah being angry was a sin. It was just like maybe what he did or could have done in his anger that could become a sin. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. Let me share. It's also what he was angry about. I mean, uh, be the Bible says be angry and sin not. Now there's certain things that ought to make us angry. Alex, I don't think Jesus, when he was turning over the tables, was doing it a polite way. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, people want to, they want to change words, say, oh, it was righteous indignation. It wasn't anger. Uh, 
I don't think the play on words makes a difference. That's me now. You may do so. But yeah. uh, you can be angry and sin not. You do be controlled by the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, the fruit of the Spirit in one of those is self-control. Not to be controlled by an angry uh, outburst, but you keep it under control. Uh, so, uh, yes, there are. I think there's a place for anger. Uh, yeah. Alex, uh, wasn't it Schaefer, Francis Schaefer? Uh, his, a time for anger. A time for anger. And it, there is yeah. a time. Go ahead. Well, yeah, and really um, the word impassioned. You know, there, there is a sense in which anger can be destructive or, or really vindictive. So when you're, you know, you're broken over sin or you're motivated to speak out against something that's immoral or ungodly, it, it might be impassioned, but it's not malicious or it's not vindictive. And so I, I agree with the caller that, I mean, there is, and I agree with Francis Schaeffer, there's sometimes, there's a time for anger if it promotes positive action. Good call, good observation, and, and ma'am, thank you for listening. 888-589-8840, the Exploring the Word program on AFR. Bert, uh, where shall we go We're next? We're going to Arkansas, and welcome Kevin. Welcome, brother. I'm going to say brother one more time, hoping I got it right. Did I? <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Okay, Kevin, go ahead, man. Uh, uh, this question is more for Alex. Uh, between Alex and that other apologist, I've uh, gleaned at least nine, maybe ten laws of logic. How many laws of logic are there? And Alex, if you would, someday uh, do a show on logic or throw in the laws every here and there and yonder. Well, God bless you. Thanks for what. Thanks very much for listening. You know, uh, and you being from Arkansas, I'm going to be in Arkansas pretty soon. Uh, Boundless Grace Baptist, which is a great church in Rogers, Arkansas, and I'll have to, if you go on my schedule, alexmcfarland.com, you'll see when I'm going to be there. And so uh, maybe when I'm out your way in Arkansas at Boundless Grace Church, I'd love to meet you. Do you know what? There, there are a number of laws of logic, and sometimes we use the, the, the phrase critical thinking skills. And Aristotle, who lived a couple of hundred years before Christ, um, he talked about what are called the first principles. Now, this might sound intimidating and might sound kind of like, oh, wow, you know, this is too deep. But I, I want to give you, I'll just give you three of the first principles. There's basically five. And the first is what's called the law of non-contradiction. Uh, basically, that two contradictory things can't both be true at the same time and in the same way. Another is what's called the law of identity, uh, that something is what it is. Now, I'm going to relate this to the modern world here in a minute. And then another law of logic is called the law of excluded middle, either or. Okay, now hang with me. Okay, non-contradiction. Two mutually exclusive things can't both be true at the same time. For instance, uh, some people would say, well, Jesus is true for you, but not for me. Well, no, if he's the risen Son of God, that means he's true for everybody. Jesus can't at one moment be deity, the Son of God, and at the same time not be the Son of God. He is the Son of God, therefore he couldn't not be the Son of God. So the law of non-contradiction helps us understand if something is true, then its opposite is false. Then there's the law of identity. Aristotle said A is A. 
something is what it is. Now, Bert, every now and then people will, you know, if you say, oh, I hate that, you know, the economy is bad or whatever, and they'll say, well, it is what it is. Well, in the law of identity, look, if, if you're a male, that means you are what you are. You can't change to be something else. And now in our age of transgenderism, among Scripture, common sense, and other things, I think Aristotle's law of identity helps us understand that, look, a male is a male and a female is a female, and those are two separate categories, and something can't be what it isn't. Final thing I'll say, there's the thing of uh, excluded middle, either A or B. You know, either something is this or it's something else. You know, either Jesus is the Son of God or he isn't. Uh, he can't both be and not be. Now, I know we're getting a little into the weeds here, and we're going to move on, but I'm glad the caller is thinking about critical thinking skills because, Bert, look, let's talk about our, our government right now for a minute. Um, you can't tax yourself into prosperity. You can't abolish the police and think you're going to have order and stability. You can't just open the borders and let people come in and not look after the interests of the citizens that you are sworn to defend and serve. We are living in a time, Bert, the reason I spent a minute talking about critical thinking skills and the principles of logic, because we're living in, in a time when we've really thrown common sense and rationality out the window sometimes. Do you agree, Bert? We do fully. Yeah. And and what yeah. you do here, you find this logic to be biblical. Let your nay be nay yeah. and your, you know, yay be yay. The be whole thing word. is come, come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing. Uh, when Moses came down, he asked, who is on the Lord's side? You can't stay over there and over here. So what will happen, not only, I remember studying those. I didn't spend the time on it like you. I think I had to learn them for a short term for a test and repeat them back. If I remember, they stayed with you longer than myself, Alex. But I found in the Bible that that is the way it is. Now, there's some things that overcome, like Jesus walking on the water. That overcomes a lot of the things, and that's the miraculous part of it. But God never contradicts himself. That's the whole idea. And so logic is has its place, and I appreciate you sharing that. Kevin, thank you for that good question and asking that of Alex. Let's go to Alabama and talk to Christy. Christy, welcome. Hello. Uh, first of all, I just want to thank you all so much because um, this, I'm new to the audience. Um, I've been homeschooling for 25 years and home with 10 children, so it's been exciting. Wait, uh, wait, wait just a minute. we got to just clear that up. How many children? One in heaven and ten still here on earth. And they praise were, the Lord. wow, you, praise the Lord. Hey, you, you beat me, I'm the youngest of nine, and when I hear people that have a large family, I just like to uh, say what a joy it is. It is a joy. But anyway, we better not do that. We'll be here listening at your biography, over ten children. But That's wonderful. It is. And well, welcome. And, and, and to add to that, the add to the, the eternal rewards of listening to y'all is the fact that I'm transporting quite a few while we listen to you each day. <laughs> Amen. Hey, we love that. Go ahead, Christy. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so the question, and my husband and I, we've discussed it, and 
and he's not really sure either, but he's not driving like I'm listening, so I, I want to ask y'all also, um, is that many, many years ago when we first started homeschooling and I was the primary teacher, um, I was using the NAS version. Um, it had been given to me at college and had been told to me it was the closest to the Hebrew translation, and I, I don't know if it was the Lord. Um, I just remember this feeling I don't know, I can't remember exactly the thing, but the next thing I knew, I was being introduced to the thought that the King James Version was the authorized version and that it was going to be the one that which should be used, and it was the translation. And then a friend gave me a dissertation by a pastor that made me, it brought me to tears, actually, because it stated that um, the ones that actually translated the NAS were not even born-again believers, many of them, and then the NIV might have even been worse. So I was pretty much shocked, and I went in the attic and found my genuine leather childhood King James Version and brought it down. And and so that's 25 years ago what I've been using. And my question is for you, because I respect, I, I'm just appreciative for you, the, for the men, the leaders that are taking with no fear at all, being on public broadcasting and just saying what you say and teaching and I would like to know your opinion on that. Okay, thank you, Christy. I just want to go. King James Version is an awesome version. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I would say I, the the original are the ones, no mistakes, whatever. But I agree with Charles Schofield, it, and it's about the King James Version, New King James, and others mostly. It's close enough that it can be authoritative to say it's the Word of God. King James Version is a great version, Christy. Uh, it, it's not. It was authorized by what? It was authorized by the English government, the wasn't it? By the king. Yeah. It's not necessarily. People want to say it's the authorized version by God. Uh, I, I believe God was in the the King James Version being translated, Alex, because that King James Version has made its way around the world with English speaking missionaries and taken it to help them to be introduced. And until their language could be uh, translated, the Bible be translated in their Bibles and their language. Mm-hmm. It's great version, but it's it's not the only one that's good. Alex, go ahead. Yeah. Hey, and by the way, and for one thing, thank you for listening to the program, and thank you for being a homeschool family and for for raising your precious children in the knowledge and the ways of the Lord. We we commend you and all of. All of the faithful parents that are trying to pass the Christian faith on to their kids, we, we applaud you and you're in our prayers. Now, questions about the Bible remind me of the Bible Museum in Washington, the Green family, and uh, Bert and I have been there. Bert and I actually have broadcast from the Bible Museum in Washington, and what an honor that is. I would urge people to go to the Bible Museum. It, it really will give you a deepened appreciation for what God has done to preserve his word. Let me also recommend, I've got a dear friend, this man is a champion, his name is Dr. Harold Rawlings, R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S. Dr. Harold Rawlings wrote a book called Trial by Fire, How the Bible Was Put into English. And it's an amazing story, and the Rawlings family has an incredible Bible collection themselves. So, So here's the thing that the King James, the, it's called the authorized version, not necessarily that it was authorized by, you know, Peter, James, and John, uh, but that it was authorized by the King of England and the Church of England. 
And it is wonderful for 400 years, 410 years really, the, Bible, the, the world has benefited from that English translation called the King James Version. Now let, let me say this, uh, Bert, and uh, have we got a minute before we run out of time, Bert? Yeah, about it. Uh, we, this will be yeah. our last caller for the day, so go ahead to the end. So, go ahead, Alex. As, as you know, I'm sure, the original Old Testament, New Testament was in Hebrew and Greek. A little bit of the New Testament was in Aramaic, but translation is, is a word-for-word swap. And so when we say the Bible is the inspired, inerrant Word of God, we're not necessarily talking about the translations of it. We're talking about the original language, the original content, inspired, infallible, given by God. Now, that being said, one of the beautiful things about the Christian faith is that the, the content, the absolute content, can be preserved and communicated in languages. There are Spanish translations, Chinese, Korean, Hindi, Bimba, African, uh, you name it, and there are English translations. Now, there's a couple of approaches, especially when it's, you know, the translators are trying to convey what the original said. There's something called the dynamic equivalent. There's something called the formal equivalent. Now, the New American Standard was based on the approach called formal equivalency. I mean, a literal word for word, and that's why sometimes it's kind of rocky. Versions like the NIV go word for word and thought for thought, and to try to smooth it out, sometimes it doesn't look right, but the translators have tried their best to communicate the thought. So, New King James, Holman Christian Standard, New American Standard, um, NLT, they're all good, and it's easier to talk about the ones that are bad than the ones that are good because there are so many good ones. Thank you, Christy. Thank you for listening to Exploring the Word, and remember, the next three days, share Keep listening. Yes. It'll bless you. You'll be blessed by the testimonies. Keep telling others about Exploring the Word, and they are far, but more important, tell them about Jesus.